In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. So just concluded on WSB Radio and Channel 2 Action News, and of course, followed and reported on in-depth in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the GOP runoff for governor, featuring Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. This is the AJC podcast to discuss what viewers and listeners might have learned from the debate. In studio now, AJC political reporter Greg Bluestein. He was on the panel. Uh, WSB political analyst Bill Crane. AJC political columnist Jim Galloway. Also joining us is uh, Leroy Chapman, who's with us for these podcasts. He is the deputy managing editor for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And my name is Condis Presley with WSB Radio. Also, along with Greg and David Huddleston and Justin Farmer, panelist for today's debate. First question, gentlemen. And let me start with you, Jim Galloway. Who accomplished most with today's debate? I would have to say that that Casey Cagle did what he had to do more so than Brian Kemp. And that is because Brian Kemp started and ended this debate with attacks on Cagle, uh, all related to the, the that, that secret recorded secretly recorded tape by Clay Tippins of a private conversation with the lieutenant governor. And I think throughout the, the hour, Cagle was uh, able to ob- obfuscate and distract uh, from from the from that topic, and to point out a, a few more flaws in in Brian Kemp's own career. Bill Crane, what were your thoughts on who did what they needed to do? I don't think either of them did. I would give a slight edge to the Secretary of State. He understands being the Secretary of State the mechanics of elections, and I think his process in what will be an abysmal turnout and is already very low early advance voting was to push more Cagle voters away from the ballot box entirely, not necessarily draw them his way. But to give them pause Just in to thinking about to, to discourage them from showing up and voting. So you're saying he played a strategy game? Yeah, he, I mean, he started with guns to get him into the runoff, and that was successful, playing well to the right of the lieutenant governor. And now he's basically saying that you can't trust Casey Cagle, and in doing so, trying to uh, even from the beginning, the lieutenant governor, who was at one time a faraway leader, his support was soft, and so in that he knows it's soft, he's been trying to deflect and push that away, and I think. He was more effective today, even though he's not the most articulate at all times, in beating up on the lieutenant governor than the reverse. Greg Bluestein, you asked the question about trust because it was a major factor that emerged from the Channel 2 Action News AJC poll that was released mm-hmm. on Friday. And trust was at the central of this debate as well. I mean, look at the dy- dynamic of this race. K- Casey Cagle got in this race last summer and was the front runner for the entire race up until a few weeks ago. Uh, the AJC WSB poll that just came out showed 
uh, within the margin of error, but Brian Kemp has a three-point lead over Casey Cagle, and none of the campaigns dispute that. It is what all the internal polls are showing as well. So this race, right now, you've got to give Brian Kemp a little bit of edge. He came into this debate knowing this was a pivotal moment, trying to leverage that tape for all it was worth. And Casey Cagle had a very effective answer saying that to him, trustworthiness was also just as important and trustworthiness and doing your job. He said he does his job even for the the big things and the small things and try to paint Brian Kemp as this incompetent sort of fool in, in office. And we've got a little bit of that. I think we're going to be able to, uh, to play that interaction uh, from the debate. And uh, let's give that a listen. So listen, what they have done is they have take and clipped every single one of the of the entire interview and use little little nippets and they did it for their own political gain. If they took the whole thing in context, it would look very differently. The context on education was dealing with Clay Tippin's uncle, who was the chair of the education committee. These are facts, okay? But that's not what the secretary wants to run on. He wants to run on a misinformed and in, in the secret idea of coming in and trying to trap someone and the re- let me tell you why. Because he can't run against my record. He can't run against my record. He can't run against the economy that we have built in this state that is second to none. Our GDP is the fastest growing GDP in the entire Southeast, including Texas. This state is on the right track, and we do not need to trust it in someone who has not proven himself even in the job that he has now. Secretary, were you involved? Well, were, let, were you involved let, let, in, the, in that taping? Did, is that something? No, that, I was not. Do we believe that answer? I do. I mean, if he had the whole tape, I think he'd really release it by now. But I would also share eight years ago in the runoff between Nathan Deal and Karen Handel, when Karen Handel was the front runner, she went hard, particularly in her direct mail and her web ads against the uh, now governor, then congressman, calling him the most corrupt man to ever run for the office. And Georgia voters rejected that rather handedly, and they were Republicans and Democrats in that particular runoff. Um, I think Republican voters have a tendency to get squeamish when GOP candidates go nuclear against each other. Yeah, when it comes to the tape, I, I was involved in the initial stories about the tape um, uh, with, along with our partners over at WSB. Um, Clay Tippins recorded this. The Kemp campaign did not know about the actual recording until the, uh, as far as I know, until the recording was aired. But then since then, they have given, the, the Tippins, uh, Tippins has given Brian Kemp's campaign directly some snippets of this audio that they have released on their own. And, and it is snippets for the yeah, record, they're snippets. not Some of them are, yeah, some of them are 50 second snippets. Some of them are even shorter than that. And so they are releasing these as the campaign accelerates. So when Casey Cagle says the camp, the Brian Kemp campaign is complicit, he's right and he's wrong. He's, he's wrong. They were never complicit from the beginning. They didn't work with Tippins uh, from the beginning, but he also has given The Kim campaign does have more audio that we don't know about yet. Yeah, the the narrative of how that recording came about doesn't fit Casey Cagle's assertion that Brian Kemp was on it from the beginning because Casey Cagle invited Clay Tippins into his office in order to get an endorsement from a defeated candidate. And that said candidate just had his iPhone in his pocket and pushed record. That's, (laughs) That's what he said he did. And look, there's a reason that Kemp is trying to leverage this. The whole complaint about... Casey Cagle, the whole, you know, the, the the last eight years, 12 years of candidates running against him was always saying that he was the stuffy insider who put politics over policy. And now you've got him on audio. That's the reason why at, the, at these last debates, all he's done is pivot back to the tape as much as he possibly can because he wants as wide of an audience to hear about the tape. But this was the first time you really heard Casey Cagle with a very effective counterclaim. Rather than, you know, just saying, yeah, let's move on. He was saying, 
what would happen? What would you feel like? Who does this was his answer. I believe we've got that piece of audio as well. Uh, what we have found now is that Secretary Kemp, along with Clay Tippins, uh, conspired to, uh, to really set me up in my office and secretly record me having a confidential, candid conversation. What I will tell you is that the issue that the Secretary Kemp wants to hide from is that, one, who does that? I mean, who comes into an office uh, and records you secretly? And it's pretty clear that the, what the intention actually was. Leroy Chapman from the AJC. Yeah, I just have a question about this. So do we think that that tact is enough to blunt? I think what the camp campaign keeps hammering, and that is you insulted conservatives. And so in this, when we're talking about a runoff and the people who uh, will be most enthusiastic about voting, uh, will they view this as uh, Cagle being uh, in a position that no one wants to be in where, you know, he's uh, secretly recorded or is the substance of what uh, he said. And, and that's, uh, I think, been, been framed as he has insulted voters. Well, I think the part about insulting conservatives as related to his support for charter schools and his support for moving funding into private schools is not, it's getting sort of lost in the clutter of the bigger discussion of you're bought and paid for that you pay for play and that policy is for sale in your office. I think that's where Brian Kemp has been more successful in landing blows, less so you sold out Christian conservatives or folks who are supporting charter schools. In, in a way, this, this, is, this is kind of Cagle's chief weakness coming home in, in this campaign. I mean, he's, he's kind of been pitched as a general election climate, in part because he's been so good over these 12 years as a lieutenant governor as kind of shielding his own true beliefs. I mean, he has not, uh, 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 other than uh, his, 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 uh, his what, uh, apprenticeship uh, academies, he's really had no big issue that he's been identified with. Rather, he's been kind of the, the fellow who kind of directs traffic. And presiding the, officers don't have to vote. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Noticeably absent, I thought, from what I found was a, an hour of very good TV, a very feisty debate, as you noted, Greg, were three things that were not mentioned, Jim, and those were most noticeable to you. Right, uh, Stacey Abrams. Brian Kemp gave her one mention, and 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 she wasn't. Uh, she was an absent figure throughout the rest of the debate, which is interesting because you've you for the first time in many many years you've got a what I think is is a viable climate for for Democrats to make a make a mark in November. You didn't hear Donald Trump. Uh, I think he was mentioned once, again by twice maybe, uh, and and in in the preceding weeks, you know, the, this this campaign uh, uh, has been who can who can mimic Donald Trump best, whether on Twitter or on the stump, and then we had a, a ducking by both candidates on the question of religious liberty. Greg Greg posed the question, uh, and I'll I'll let him elaborate on that one. Yeah, I mean, the question involved the CNBC rankings. I was with the governor doing a trade delegation trip to Israel in 2014 in the teeth of his re-election campaign, where he cut, he, he interrupted the trip to go on a CNBC studio to tout how CNBC had just named Georgia the number one state in the nation to do business. Um, and it became a very prominent part of his campaign against Jason Carter that year. Well, just last week, CNBC ranked Georgia number seven. Um, out of the top five, which is a which is a big deal uh, in terms of state pride and state economic development incentives and things like that. And I asked the candidates uh, why they thought that was, and if they thought that religious liberty and other socially conservative legislation that the business community has long opposed. 
and we were coming up on a commercial break, so they both gave very generic answers. But, but I think I think but I think uh, their their reluctance to 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 talk about whether Georgia businesses should be required to serve same sex couples, I th- I think that goes to the nervousness that the business com- uh, community has about this primary and and whether a a, a Kemp a Kemp a, a Kemp candidacy or a Kegel candidacy would be would be best suited to kind of deflect those 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 social conservative attacks because they saw what we saw, which was right after the Delta snub, right after the state punished Delta for cutting ties with NRA, a string of prominent business leaders donated to Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams. And uh, in, in those prominent business leaders, and you've talked to several of them, um, are very concerned about the state's direction when it comes to religious liberty and, and being a, a, a pro-business economic climate. And that's one question, Bill, before you jump in on that, that I know we all had on the panel and we didn't get a chance to get it in because the debate went in different directions. But I know each of us had an Amazon 2 question that we wanted to ask. And I know that the Amazon 2 question dealt specifically with the RIFRA legislation. I also think one of the missing smoking guns in this runoff and the one before the debate that was on another network, as they say, there was no gun discussion. I was somewhat expecting them to try to outgun each other with the NRA endorsement and talking about their ownership and their respective arsenals, but they seem to have kind of given up on that one. I think in on. general, the, 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 the debate rhetoric has been – and the campaign rhetoric has been somewhat about immigration, about guns, about, about abortion that I think we've seen them – all sort of have similar views on those. There, there's there's differences in policy. At nuances. First, yeah, there's nuances. At first, Lieutenant Governor Cagle didn't support constitutional carry. Now he does. But overall, they're largely on the same page, which is why we kind of wanted to go in a different policy direction this time. Although there was one question I, we got into, and I was hoping that we can play a little bit of that yeah. answer. That was, uh, Greg, it was your question, and it dealt with um, it dealt with. Medicinal marijuana? Or no, that was no. That medicinal marijuana. Medicinal marijuana was my question, but yeah. the one that I'm thinking about was especially after we, the the indictments on Friday with the uh, Russians Davis. hacking the election, and whether and that some counties in Georgia had been targeted. Yeah. And this was the, what will you do to protect our state's voting systems against new threats? Okay, and then this was the response, the byplay. Absolutely, I took full responsibility for that. Unlike. What Casey's done on the tapes, I went on uh, WSB-TV, took responsibility for an employee that didn't follow policies and procedures that I implemented. They didn't even exist before I came into office. We did an investigation, found out what happened. We fired the employee, and I did take responsibility. We put in new measures to prevent that from happening in the past. But it doesn't negate the fact that we were never hacked. We uh, reacted immediately. And Casey Cagle has never cared about this, these issues, you know, until the gubernatorial campaign. Well, again, I just want to reiterate the fact that, uh, you know, all of the issues in which he just articulated has been documented by numerous uh, sources. And more importantly, uh, you, you are responsible and you should have public, you should have uh, perce- uh, rules and regulations and policies and procedures in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. And along with that, just using or pointing the finger at someone else saying it's their fault uh, is not an example. You tried to cover it up when the disc got out, and that's con- that's been documented time and time again, along with the individual came in and said, these servers are not secure. You need to do something about it. And yet, you look the other way. That is not leadership. Leadership is getting things done. The only thing you've been able to talk about in this entire campaign is about tapes. 
and you don't have a record. Your record that you're running on is a poor record. That's a pretty effective answer to me, at least from from Cagle. That's his, that's the strongest answer about about the tapes that I've heard, which is the only thing you can run on are these tapes. Show me the money, essentially. Show me wh- what you've done. But but I will tell you, if if we go back to the Russian hacking I- issue, I think I think something interesting is happening here. Okay, uh, on 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 this, we've already uh, kind of decided that this is really a a, a primary runoff of a very hardcore Trump supporters, right? And and yet we have the president of the United States, Donald Trump, dismissing uh, all issue all 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 questions about Russian hacking into the election. And so I'm I'm wondering how effective that this line of attack by Casey Cagle will be on 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 this uh, runoff electorate, whether they will push that issue aside just like Donald Trump has. I think you can expect Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee, to push this hard oh, sure, in sure, the fall, sure. but I don't know that it plays all that significantly in this general primary runoff. With the election being a week and a day away, by the way, which will be rebroadcast on WSB Radio, News 95.5, AM 750 WSB, Monday night at 8 p.m., also available online at AJC.com, also WSBRadio.com, as well as the video of the televised interview, which will be archived on WSBTV.com. Gentlemen, on this hacking question, though, if the party does push it away, is it important for voters to understand the nuance of the secretary's answer in that he can say the state was not hacked? However, he does not speak to the fact that there were a number of Georgia counties which have not been identified that were probed. And we don't still yet know exactly what it was those entities probing county election websites were able to seek and or access. Well, bad actors are literally out there every day fishing for data and trying to crack, whether it's Equifax or SunTrust Bank or Delta Airlines, every day. And a part of that is trying to crack government entities and and, and then state and local elections. That's the big piece to go after. But so far, there's been very little evidence of them actually getting in as, as opposed to them trying to, to crack the code, trying to get into the system. We don't have any instance yet in the United States where results have been changed or false votes have been tabulated or the system has been tampered with. It has been proven at the state level. And so I think the secretary is standing on, crossing his fingers, that has not actually happened. But what, but what happened at Kennesaw State, though? Uh, that was, that a, was, a, that that was, was a, di- a data disk of all the voter registration information of all Georgia voters, one of seven entities that are supposedly nonpartisan that were getting that. Was it monthly or quarterly? They were getting disks. And the Kennesaw disks got taken out of that, basically by the Secretary of State's office, got taken out of Kennesaw State and were missing for a time before they were recovered. And supposedly no one else got a copy of them, but they're not all that difficult to duplicate. So we still don't know if those disks didn't get sold or copied or someone didn't make a copy maliciously and send them out. So this was Cagle's – sorry, but the vulnerability that he he mentions, though, that was a real vulnerability when he says that we – that that he walked away from and ignored. That was a real vulnerability. It that still is a real vulnerability. It's not a hacking, though. It's, right, it's basically right. copying data. But, I, I mean, it's a it's nuance, as Greg was saying, as to how people receive that. I think the secretary is saying our election system, the integrity of our results, our electronic voting boxes haven't hacked yet. Let's listen to the lieutenant governor, and then I have a question. At Kennesaw State, under his watch, he had the responsibility of protecting all of our confidential personal information. But yet someone came in and said it's not secure. 
but yet he didn't heed the warning. The individual took took the drive, and then he wiped the server clean. All of that has been documented. It's not what I'm saying. And how can we trust Secretary Kemp in the little things when we're talking about a tenth of a one of a one percent of a budget being governor, where it's a twenty-six billion dollar budget? Well, you know, it's good to see that Pinocchio 2.0 has arrived at our second debate because that is factually not true. What has been documented is we have never been hacked. A lot of name calling in this debate as well from Pinocchio 2.0 to Lion Bryant. Lion I don't think we've heard that one before. That's another uh, effect of the, of the Trump uh, sort of uh, the, the Trump era is that the, the name calling um, in, in the rhyming uh, for, for the candidates. But again, you hear it here. Casey Cago directly tie himself to Governor Deal when he's when he said, oh, well, Brian, Brian Kemp only has a, a very small percentage of the budget. Whereas, you know, how, how can he can how can he manage twenty six billion dollar budget? The truth is twenty six billion dollar budget had a lot more to do with Governor Deal in the, in the state legislature at large than Casey Cagle. But he is tying himself directly to Governor Deal's eight years, uh, you know, eight year legacy and hoping that that and as well as the the Trump thing that went largely unmentioned this debate, but has been a big part of the campaign before this, uh, will will put him over the top. Indeed, that credit on he was taking on economic development. This is the lieutenant governor. This great uh, economic prosperity that we have in. It didn't happen uh, by accident. Uh, it took great partnerships with both Governor Deal and the Speaker of the House as well. And I'm going to continue to be committed to ensuring that we're building this economy, where we're focused on 500,000 jobs in the first four years, where we're rolling back regulations in a way that is significant for businesses, and building a world-class workforce that is second to none. In a debate where it's important to decide really that 15 percent of the poll that was taken and released last week by the AJC and WSB-TV, who made the more effective closing argument to get people to the polls a week from Tuesday? You know, I'm not sure. On on the closing arguments, I'm not sure. But in in that clip you just played, I mean – the, the the basic question in 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 U.S. politics over 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 the last twenty years is: Are you better now than you were before? And I think Casey Cagle is making the argument that you are better now. That 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 we Georgia's economy, the situation in Georgia, how business is going, how how, how life is going in Georgia, isn't worth a hard turn away from the direction that we're making right now. Unless you're driving or, or, into Atlanta traffic. Yeah, or a hard turn right is kind of what he's saying. Um, I, I think the governor's absence from this race speaks loudly, and most of the congressional delegation have not taken sides, as they did take sides eight years ago. I think um, what, Jody Heiss is the only one? Jody Heiss has backed um, Secretary Kemp, and a, f- a few former congressmen have backed Jack Kingston. Jack is Kingston backed Kemp, but, but not current congressman, not either of our United States senators other than Saxby <laughs> Chambliss, the former senator who's backing uh, I suspect, Lieutenant especially when it comes to Hall County, and Hall County is going to play such a huge role in this. It was the difference maker for Nathan Deal back in 2010. He would never have even he – would, he wouldn't be in the runoff. Uh, let alone win the runoff without Hall County. Um, I suspect that Governor is going to play a, a very large role for Casey Cagle in these final this final stretch, and especially we'll, we'll be watching to see what that does to Hall County. Because remember, but even if he's doing it quietly, you're not hearing it and you're not seeing it. And you could feel Sonny Perdue's fingers in the Karen Handel Nathan Deal race. You yeah. could see that, and yeah. certainly in the David Perdue race. How much of a problem is the tape for the lieutenant governor? It ain't helping. I mean, I think it's the biggest blow that he's taken all the way back to the beginning of this campaign. And part of the problem is it's not all out there yet. That's why I was asking before we got started, is all of it out there? And since it isn't... We don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, there, there's definitely more. Um, we don't know if they're going to how effectively or how the Kemp campaign will use it. Because again, at this point is out of our hands. Uh, as far as I know, um, you know, the the the, the Kemp campaign has has gotten directly some parts of the tape from from Clay Tippins. Uh, but it also matters how much money they put behind that message. Because if you look at their internal polls, and you have to take those with a grain of salt, but they the the Kemp internal polls showed him leading Cagle in Metro Atlanta, but not really anywhere else. And they think that's because the the news of the tape has so saturated this marketplace that it's helped them here, but not in Savannah and not in Columbus and not in Macon. And that's why they're trying to get this message out statewide. And, uh, and, and, and there's, only, there's only seven days left. I mean, you can't, generally speaking, even a harsh message, a harsh attack needs three to four days to penetrate. One of the reasons the tape has been so effective is not Clay Tippins or the way they've dribbed and drabbed it all, but... Senator Lindsey Tippins, who is not on the tape but is referenced in the tape and is one of the reasons the conversation took place and one of the reasons Casey Hickel thought he could bring Clay Tippins into his tent, is extremely well-respected and extremely beloved by conservatives and particularly in the charter school movement, someone that they believe is sort of a deliverer of what he says he will do. And so because of his involvement, particularly in Greg's question about him coming out and saying a couple of days after the first story broke and this also happened, that story has legs. So we wanted to play another clip, and this is a clip of Secretary of State Brian Kemp. And I think this is, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the few times that the name of the Democratic opponent come November, Stacey Abrams, was actually mentioned. As Secretary of State, I've done exactly what I told you I'd do. I've fought Stacey Abrams in the left. I've taken on the liberals to protect our voter ID laws and protect our citizenship check, suing the Obama Justice Department twice. I'm an unapologetic conservative. And I'll do the right thing when no one's watching. Is this a gut check for Georgia Republicans a week from Tuesday? I like the do the right thing when no one's watching line. I think that's effective. Um, Stacey Abrams should have gotten more mention. The agenda of her campaign, the focus of her existing campaign, which to to me, I think it was strategic error given the, the particularly late play this will get and replay on radio – um, to not in any way acknowledge the fall election, which they really didn't other than this one veiled reference that didn't even refer to her as the Democratic nominee or representative Stacey Abrams. It was almost a throwaway. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised by that because I think, you you know, you have astute voters who are going to be uh, casting a vote uh, a week from Tuesday. So uh, th- these folks, I think, uh, make a calculation. That calculation is not only uh, who among these two uh, do I support, who speaks to me, but I think also, too, they are wondering about the national landscape and the state, which is, uh, you know, are the soil conditions ripe for a Democrat to win here? So these are the folks who are really attuned to it. And um, I'm, I'm surprised that part of that closing argument, I think we framed the question, is that, you know, I am the person who can, can win. Take it Stacey Abrams. Right. No one said that directly. I go, I go back to the, the importance of the business community and their support in this race. If, if Casey Cagle, if, uh, in this primary runoff, Casey Cagle is the only one who has at least spoken that uh, he has he has not directly opposed some form of Medicaid expansion that would help rural hospitals uh, throughout Georgia. Uh, Kemp has Kemp has stated very flatly he will not take one more federal dime in in Medicaid fund funding. So if Kemp wins this campaign, you could have a very interesting Medicaid based contest. Mm-hmm. 
uh, between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. And I think the business community in Georgia really doesn't want to make that choice. And what does Stacey Abrams say her, her main promise, her the first thing she'd do if she took office? It is to work to expand Medicaid. Of course, that requires legislative approval. It will not be easy to get that. She'll, there'll be all, all sorts of bargaining and horse trading to get to that point. But that is her number one priority. Has there ever been a time in Georgia's history, and I should know the answer to this question, but I don't, when we've had a governor and a lieutenant governor of opposing parties? Running, yeah. Well, Lester Maddox ran against Jimmy Carter when Lester Maddox was. Jimmy Carter was had been governor. Say again? Oh, no, no. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm uh, just thinking, because Jim- it could be, we could end up with a Democratic governor and a Republican yeah. lieutenant governor. Or- we did have that with Mark Taylor and no. Sonny Perdue in the first two years. Yeah. There you go. But remember, Casey Cagle was the first Republican in the LG ever. Correct. So- I mean, that office has only existed since the 40s. But, uh, but I, I, I think, Bill, I think you're right. Uh, Lester Maddox and Jimmy Carter were not of the same party. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. What I was trying to say was of the same party running against each other because they did, and, and Jimmy Carter won. All right, so guys, as we get ready to wrap this up, and these are very uh, knowledgeable listeners paying attention to this podcast, going forward, uh, what should they take away from today's debate, this conversation, and what conversations do we expect them to be having with their friends and the people they influence looking ahead to the, the runoff on July 24th? Well, number one, it's for, for, for we journalists, it's going to be a very, very hard race to handicap these last these last few days simply because the as as you've heard the turnout has, is so tepid so slim that that even polls don't really kind of pick up uh, and and you you could you, uh, Greg was right you could have this race turn on an extra couple thousand votes in Hall County or or elsewhere in Lowndes County or elsewhere in Georgia so I it, it's it's going to be very very hard for us to 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 pick and choose a winner in this thing before it actually happens the president continues to suck all the oxygen out of the room in terms of political coverage. The Putin uh, non-summit casual get-together, broskies for beer, whatever they're calling it now, will will eat most of the political coverage this upcoming week. So in the week, they really need people to be paying attention. We won't be. I'm talking about the not this room, but the broader electorate. Uh, I hope people that did pay attention listen to watch this or are sitting there thinking, do we really want 5% of the entire state electorate deciding the nomination to go against whoever in the fall. Do we really want to be a state than when less than 10% of the voters pick our governor? And and Georgia's I, the 10th largest state in the union. We've yeah. got 10.5 million residents. Six million of them are registered voters. So vote. Um, so the, the, the close, I mean, anytime you've got a, a race that's this tight, and so uh, our poll certainly shows that statistically it's a dead heat. Uh, you got seven days you have to close. Uh, I'm just paying attention to the messaging because, you know, no one has a lead. So th- there isn't a closing argument when you've got someone pursu- in pursuit of someone. It is that classic sort of, um, you know, what in a, in, in, clo- in a closing message can perhaps either seal the deal or, 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 or maybe change momentum. And I think in this race so far, I mean, we've seen Kemp make up and he has – uh, probably still has a little momentum on his side. I don't think he did anything today to hurt himself with that. But uh, I'm just interested in the, what the closing message is going to be and if there's anything, as Jim said, that could happen with three or four days in that could actually change uh, the tune for what that 15% is kind of looking for. And, Leroy, that brings me to the question, and, Greg, I want you to weigh in this on as well as well as I would for you also, Jim. Normally in the last week of a campaign, when you talk about the messaging and the advertising, whether it's on television, on radio, it tends to pivot to more of a, I'm the nice person, I'm the person you can trust, 
do we continue to see all of the attack ads here in the last seven days? When do these candidates with the race as tight as it is pivot to that that closing argument? Probably on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, you heard a little bit of of the the pivot today at the debate where they talked more. Both of them talked about trustworthiness. Who can you trust more? Kemp saying you can trust me more because you heard the other guy on tape saying disparaging things. And Cagle saying you can trust me more because of what I've done in office. Um, there's, but this 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 brutal negative back and forth is just going to continue. There will be more attack ads. Both the campaigns will have very positive closes, I bet. But that doesn't mean that their campaigns aren't working behind the scenes on even more negative stuff that will help either boost their turnout or depress the other guys. Right. I, I would think that Cagle's got an advantage here. Yeah. Yeah. Both both will both will will is, uh, have sunshine uh, campaign ads out uh, in the closing days. Cagle uh, has an association with the political action committee that would be able to to launch some some more negative attacks up to the last minute on Brian Kemp. He also has more money. He has more money raised. He has more cash on hand. But I still think that they're going to be slugging it because I think at this point they both believe it's about, as Leroy's saying, it's going to be a single-digit race decided possibly by a few thousand votes. They're trying to push each other's votes home not to come out on Election Day at this point. That'll do it for us for right now. This has been an AJC podcast, the Georgia GOP runoff race. I'm Condos Presley. Thank you to Greg Bluestein, Leroy Chapman, Bill Crane, Jim Galloway, and to our WSB radio intern, Bodie Brooks. Thank you for doing all the audio editing so that we could get this thing done. There's nothing else you folks want to do on Tuesday, July 24th. If you have a candidate in this race, exercise that right to vote. Thanks, everybody. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.